everybody, and welcome back this week. Um, I hope you enjoyed the totally not awkward little bit with Mary Sue and Valentine last week. This week, we're going to get into Boss and some of the crazy stuff that she's been hearing and smelling and otherwise experiencing, kind of in the background of some of the other runs and activities that the team has been on. It's going on a weird little deep weed journey. The day after... Because I get the feeling after you guys got paid and the stuff with Chuck, since it was late, you may not have driven home. You may have stopped and gotten a call from a motel in Seattle to then, like, you know, drive out to the middle of nowhere tomorrow, air quotes. Depending on how much time we have in terms of downtime, I could see Boz kind of vanishing into her cabin for a little while because she did have kind of a stressful time. But if she's going to go talk to this guy, she'd probably just do it when the next scheduled training was, right? You guys are going to have probably a week or two of downtime. You just got back to Seattle. Did you let your teacher, this maestro, because it's apparently Spanish for teacher, know that you're back in town? Yeah, she probably would have sent him off a message as they were on their way back from Detroit. Okay. Just to let him know that the uh, schedule's back on. And she trains with him like twice a week kind of thing? or Ish. It probably depends upon how you're progressing on your own. Like, showing you the basics, that kind of thing. I guess that's the question. Does he come to her, or does she go to him? At this juncture in their relationship is going to be going to him, because you're knowing each other for three weeks-ish. He's not to the point where he's going to drive out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, especially for free. Later down the line, because I don't imagine she's going to do anything to like intentionally piss him off and drive him away as a teacher, maybe down the line, he would come out there for something. He also has in the time that you've been there. A couple of other students, mostly low-lifestyle barons folks. You probably didn't notice anybody else that fits your pseudo-Shadowrunner-esque nature as a student. You're probably the oldest. That's fair. What is, like, is it in the basement of the of the store, or, like, what's where exactly is his training area? Well, his stuffer shack was kind of out in the barons. Which actually makes it kind of easy for Boz to get to. Your actual, like, training area. I think I like the idea that his little section of the worst part of the Barrens, more so than it's, like, not tourist hill, but it's kind of, like, more rundown, is something that was, like, an old church, but the big steeple part of it has collapsed, and the top floor is messed up. But down in the basement, he's got some old mattresses that you probably wouldn't want to sleep on, but are okay to put up against walls and stuff. Sure. They don't do a huge amount to cushion the blows when you hit them, but it's better than nothing. And uh, ground level or first floor of the place is... Soup kitchen. Yeah, kind of soup kitchen, kind of, I guess, like a hobo shack almost, where that's where he kind of lives and operates out of. Like a hostel, sort of? Yeah. People kind of come by, they stay for a couple of nights, and then they move on. And some of his students continue to stay there. Like, he's a real... So he runs the place, sort of. Runs the place in that he's the guy that people turn to for advice, whether or not he actually has any ownership of the property, or if he's just the guy that... Oh, what was the guy's name from Oliver Twist? The Fagan? Yeah. Kind of like how he takes in orphans and teaches them to steal. This guy's taking in, you know... Street kids and teaching them how to survive. Teaching them to survive, teaching them to defend themselves. Not so much running around picking people's pockets, but, you know, if you get into trouble... He's trying to help these people. He's not trying to, like, create a criminal enterprise. 
If he is, he's playing the real long con. <laughs> There's abandoned basketball court type thing outside. Maybe it was a part of the parking lot, but now there's a post that's got a hoop up on the one end that looks like it was maybe a milk crate that somebody smashed the bottom out of. Does this place have a name? Did you ever play Fallout New Vegas? Yeah, yeah. Like how Novak is no vacancy, but letters have fallen off? Oh, yeah. See, no, the, the ball is in your court, as it were, for what Boz is up to. Yeah, I think like after the big fight and the whole going to the doctor and taking care of uh, Mary Sue's old acquaintance... I think Boz just sort of needed to get away. She went from constantly being around people in Detroit to having this really stressful situation that she kind of cracked under a little bit once they got back to Seattle. I think she heads home and just sort of takes solace in just the quiet and the solitude of her home for a little while. She actually, it comes a day or two later when her training is supposed to step. She considers briefly giving the maestro a call and saying she's going to pass on this one. She's probably in a little bit of a low place still and just needs her space. But Boz isn't really the type to just to buckle and give up. And she just gathers her will and strength she has and gets her gear together, gets on her motorcycle and uh, takes a 20 minute navigation through the barrens. Get to this old abandoned slash abandoned church that she's been going to for the past while. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions over the past like two nights that you've been sleeping there. You've been hearing the sounds of animals fighting in the woods. Probably not super uncommon, right? Or would it be? I don't think that, like, she's sort of in the woods. She wouldn't be able to walk in any one direction for more than, like, 20 minutes before finding more, like, old suburbs or something. She's not deep in the woods. There happens to be enough trees nearby that she can convince herself that she's sort of in the woods. Let me put it this way. It is sounds that you have not heard since you've lived there. Okay, that's fair. What kind of animals they sound like? So with four successes on your survival to what kind of animals are these that you're hearing, it's definitely two. They sound more like a predator-type noise, something that is moderately sized. Could be a dog, a wolf, something in, in that size and shape. It's probably not anything like a bear, and it's not anything smaller. doesn't sound like a cougar or anything. That would be fairly distinctive. Okay. Yeah, that would be more, way more like feline rather than canine sounding. She starts hearing this and she probably, her assumption is like, okay, so some wild dogs have kind of taken up the area and maybe they're fighting over territory or something. I don't think she puts a huge amount of thought into it. Unless it gets real, real noisy and she can't sleep, at which point she might go out and fire a gun to try to scare them off. It doesn't sound like it's like right outside your door or anything, but it's just kind of around and is a new noise in the area. Maybe you not being here for a couple of days. I think what it does do, she's been sort of hearing dog-related noises and, like, smelling things and seeing things. And I think under normal circumstances, it probably wouldn't face her at all. Like, this is the kind of thing sometimes animals just make their way out to places like this, and she wouldn't think twice about it. But the fact that it's some, like, canine noises and she's not really sure where it's coming from and she doesn't know if there's anything going on. She's just, like, it's got her thinking about it. This keeps happening. Like, I don't know if it's related, but am I, like, am I going crazy? What's going on? In addition to your stress over the recent things that have gone down, that has also been happening. Not enough to, like, keep you up all night, but definitely enough you wake up that you definitely hear it. Yeah, and I think she's probably been losing some sleep the past few nights. It's just been, a, been an ugly time, and I think it's sort of, like, made it even more obvious to her. She's been spending some time laying awake in bed at night and 
having this noise sort of keeping her company through those stressed out can't sleep moments is probably weighing heavily on her. The waking up in the middle of the night for a cigarette, that kind of thing. Yeah. She was getting into a bit of drinking. Has she continued to do that now that she's on downtime or is she kind of? Oh, yeah. She's got like a jug or two of, of whiskey sitting around the house that she's. I don't think she ever drinks to the point where she's sloppy. Um, I don't think she's that kind of drinker, but she's definitely just sort of maintaining a buzz all day just for the sake of numbing some things. You got a lot on your mind. The best way to deal with that is to quiet your mind with booze. Absolutely. But when she does go to see her teacher, I think she's probably pretty sober. She's probably gotten up early and, and just sort of like cleaned up a little bit and, you know, put on a good face. Sure. So I think we fast forward slash montage through you arriving, you guys doing your workout, your teaching stuff involves the two of you going back and forth with you putting him in a hold of some kind related to the clinch part of things and then him breaking out of it and then him showing you how to prevent the breaking out of that. Sure. After that, he puts you in the various holds and you try to break out of them, that kind of thing. Is there anything you want to talk to him about in the process of the workout slash instruction, or is this the kind of thing that you would bring up when you're sitting down, towel over the shoulders, Gatorade time? I think she would wait. I don't think she would want to be distracted. And I'm not sure that the maestro is really the sort to get distracted. He was pretty stubborn when she talked to him the first time. So she would wait for her moment if she's going to bring up something potentially awkward. So I think what we have is you have him in a situation some kind of grapple clinch type situation. And he's been trying to show you how to keep people from breaking out of it. For some reason, it's just not sticking to you and you keep messing up or keep doing something about it slightly wrong. He'd probably notice that she seems kind of distracted. Only he takes it a step further with the escape maneuver and he judo throws you and you land sprawled on the ground. He just comes over to help you back up and gives you that look of what is wrong. Yeah, I think when she hits the mat, under normal circumstances, she'd be back up pretty fast. This time, she hits the ground and just lays there for a moment, just looking up at the ceiling. So when he leans over top of her, like, okay, clearly your head's not in this sort of thing. She lets him help her up, and she says, sorry, sorry maestro, it's been a, been a tough week. Got a lot on my mind right now. I'm trying to keep my head in it, but you know how it can be. He's going to walk with you over to a little bench or something that you have. You guys probably have water bottles and change clothes. Like, you brought some stuff with you. And he walks over there with you to to sit down. Yeah, and she takes, like, a long drink of water as she sits down and uh, catches her breath. And, and she says to him, like, I, I don't want to burden you with minor problems. I got kind of got the impression that, you know, this, you, you know, you know what my life is like and you don't necessarily want to hear about it. But she makes a bit of a face. She's not sure she wants to even bring this up. So she starts by asking a question. She says, do you, do you know anything about spirits? Since we kind of gloss over your, your previous time with this guy, have you talked to him about magic stuff? Or has this always just been about the workouts and the routines and learning that kind of stuff? I think she was upfront about the fact that she is an adept and that she doesn't have a complete understanding of what that means. She suspects that he might be an adept, but I don't know if that's become obvious or if he's said or if he would have said if she mentioned it. In the beginning, when she was talking about her adeptness, if she didn't pry into asking him, he wouldn't say anything about it. 
Okay. Yeah, she wouldn't. She wouldn't pry. You know, it's Boz. Privacy is important. Right. But she does suspect. He just seems a little too talented. I think to not be in her eyes, like he knows too much. He just seems. He just seems like that kind of kind of guy. So she's suspected. This is which is why she's asking him. So he will take a drink from his water, pull up something that's not a chair, but use it as a chair. Maybe you know, just like a, another busted up milk crate or something like that. Spirits, how? Well, this is this is gonna either make me sound crazy, or it's not. But yeah, I've I spent a big chunk of my life learning about unusual creatures, and that was sort of what I did for a long time. So I'm not I'm not unfamiliar with. <laughs> She's trying to figure out how she wants to talk about this, and she says, "I've been experiencing some things that I can't explain." And it's outside of anything I know about. But there's been like a, a dog following me around or something. I keep hearing it like nearby and smelling it when it's raining, but there's nothing around. And I hear it howling and I I can't, I don't know if I'm going crazy. I don't know if it's just stress getting to me because it has been stressful lately, but I can't make, I can't make hide or hair of it. He gets a little bit of a thoughtful look to himself. I do not think you are going crazy. Oh, that's good to know. There are many strange things in our world and many powers that are truly beyond our own understanding of the universe and how things are. Magic and its ilk have only returned for a handful of years in comparison to as long as the world has been going. There are people out there who think they know everything, who think that they are figuring it out when in reality they know very very little but i think i know what you need and he'll get up and head off upstairs buzz gives him kind of a look like that's not what she was expecting he knows what she needs so she stands up and follows him looking a little a little uncertain but curious and he'll take you upstairs and into his little space or his room which is for dramatic state is going to be one of the confessionals that has been instead of three small things two of the walls have been knocked down and so it's kind of like a bunk area across it oh yeah so he's like sleeping on the bench that runs across all of them uh he's got some better accommodations than just sleeping on a bench like a complete hobo <laughs> there's not a lot of room in those confessionals is all i'm saying but he's a dwarf he's a dwarf so doesn't need a lot of room so he'll take you up there and he will pull out a duffel bag kind of thing and start rooting through in the process of him rooting around. You are going to see some brightly colored clothing in there, but he skips past that and then pulls out a small baggie and a couple of pieces of paper. Boss know anything about drugs? No, I don't think she does. Okay. She comes into this like confessional. She's obviously a lot bigger than him. So it's a much more confined space for her, but she like finds a spot to, to sit. She's watching him dig, and when he pulls out what looks to her like any drug she might have seen on a tr- like a Trudio show, she sees it and she like lowers her head and starts to like rub her forehead, and she's like, "You do think I'm crazy, don't you?" No. And he'll motion to sit on one of the pews that's been pushed up against the wall and is still solid. He'll come to stand in front of you, and he'll offer you the bag. This will help you open yourself to the astral world around you. She doesn't look convinced. She stares at him for a sec, looking kind of incredulous, and she says, how are some drugs supposed to help me see any? I don't, I don't get it. 
he'll continue to have the handout holding you the baggie. There are spirits in all kinds of shapes and sizes, some of which are powerful enough to make us see or hear things or even smell things. If you want to interact with them, you need to go to where they are. You need to go open yourself to the astral. This will help you do that. Buzz takes a deep breath. She still doesn't look totally convinced, but she takes a baggie. I'm assuming there's something that's already rolled in there because she starts taking things out and she's half-heartedly rolling herself, I guess, a joint. And she uh, she looks over at him and she, she just kind of says, Sure, so you'll start rolling up a joint. And I'll kind of nod that you're actually somewhat practiced at it. And we'll say, take it home, relax for a day or two. If you start hearing these symptoms, then smoke it. She looks up, she she kind of laughs a little, and she says, oh, and here, I thought you were going to, like, hang out with me. Okay. All right. I guess I can do this on my own. If this is what I think it is, it is a very personal and very important. He will start to talk a little bit about how the Native American shamans, before the whole awakening, used to do vision quests, and now that magic has returned, they do a little bit more than just pay lip service to the old ways. Now there's actually like power and stuff behind them. And they're also very private and very personal experiences. And that's why you've got to do it on your own. Buzz nods along. Like there's a little bit of familiarity there. She explains that like she has spent some time talking with Inuit shamans. And they alluded to some of this stuff, but it was never a really important important part of the questions she was asking she just wanted to know what was going on with being an adept and when she was having these conversations there was a lot of like spirituality that she didn't really understand and didn't really get and i think she kind of gave up on that that path that sort of spiritual side of the magic that was part of who she was because it was always things were wrapped up in culture and and language and ideas and beliefs that she didn't necessarily share or understand or have the experience to really appreciate. And so she kind of gave up on it. So hearing about it again from a different source, she's starting to like think back on, on what she learned, the little bits and pieces that she can remember. And uh, there is some, there's something there that she remembers about, about vision quests and like trying to like reach the spirits through um, these personal moments with, I don't know if drugs are part of it, necessarily or if they mentioned anything about using substances to to reach that sort of but i think it makes some sense to her as he's kind of explaining that oh it's not just like get high and the things that you experience are going to be real like just have faith kind of thing but there's some there's some basis there in what she's learned there is definitely a bit of a um altering of your perceptions kind of thing like in the the inuit thing they were talking about sensory deprivation Right. She finishes rolling a joint and like tucks it into her sh- her shirt pocket. Or she thanks him and she pulls the bag. Like, do you, do you want like she she's rolled herself a joint now? She's like, do you want the rest of this or do I want to, do you want to keep it? Kind of thing. He'll turn his head down and when you find what you need, you know you'll be done with it. Boss sighs. She's <laughs> it's fairly clear that this is not something that she wanted to get into. She has spent her whole life in Detroit which is a very, like, crime and drugs and things. They're kind of on the bare minimum, at least compared to the rest of the world. I think she managed to somehow avoid it throughout her youth, 
a responsible family and hardworking blue collar, you know, get drunk, try to avoid getting high with street gangs kind of thing. She takes it and she puts it in her pocket and she's not feeling super excited about it. But she thanks him and she says, I didn't really know who to talk to about it. And uh, if this helps, I think it'll, it'll be, it'll be for the best. If not, well, I guess I'll ask you again. He will crack the littlest bit of a smile. He's usually very serious, very into what's going on. But he gives you a little bit of a smile, saying you're willing to reach out and try it. She has an open mind, sort of. So I imagine you are going to just go back home, or did you have anywhere else you wanted to stop? She heads home, and um, she sort of goes through her routine as normal, you know, gets her property in order sort of thing, maybe spends some time out back shooting, like you do. Blowing off some steam, scaring the locals, that kind of thing. Well, you can't be good unless you're constantly practicing, so. This is true. How, what does she practice on at home? Well, when it's shooting, it's usually a mix of things. She still does her, like, trick shooting, pistol juggling kind of training, because it's just, I think for her, it's more of a game for her to do trick shooting. It keeps her sharp, but it's also just, like, relaxing. Um, but she also does, like, just general practice shooting, like setting up targets, uh, setting bottles, probably a lot of bottles, shooting them at ranges. And I don't think she does a whole lot of other training. I think it's, she's either, like, drinking and, like, reading, like, scrappy old paperback novels that she's collected. And then shoot it. And then shoot it. She's probably got some books out there she's shot through if she doesn't like them. Does she have, like, a little range set up, or does she just have, like... Oh, yeah. Sort of. Okay. And there's a lot of just like piles of old, broken, junky, rusted stuff just around. It's very much like a boonies kind of property. It's not nice at all. It hasn't put a lot of effort into cleaning it up either. Like she just sort of leaves it that way, which is for the best probably because you know, she's still kind of in the barrens. So you don't necessarily want people like seeing your property and thinking, oh, there might be something there I want. You want them to look at it and say, well, that's a junkyard. So it kind of looks like a junkyard. She's li- she's living poor and she looks poor. So. Regardless of the fact that she's got a giant wad of cash in her oh, yeah. pocket. Or- oh, yeah. Yeah, she's she's not the sort to, like, spend a lot of money. Like, she's not... Like, her and R.C. are, like, polar opposites. R.C. has a bunch of money and wants to look like it. Boz doesn't know what to do with money. She has what she needs here. And in a, in a certain sense, if she were to spend a lot of money cleaning up and making it look nice, it wouldn't feel like home anymore. So she doesn't. She will find ways to spend it that will help her do her job kind of like buying a bunch of booze and buying a, a shotgun that's worth more than many things she spent on, on herself in a long time so does she do anything else for that or she just bed down so it has a dinner of like some root vegetables she's grown out in the yard and something that she probably killed and uh probably gets an early night half in the bag probably she uh crawls into her rickety bed and uh probably the bed that was here when she moved in and she passes out i guess so I'm I'm assuming that she's awoken again. You think it's a cigarette? You think it's, I've been drinking all day, so I got to get up in the middle of the night to pee? She's been drinking. Sometimes you just wake up dehydrated and like headachey, like your body just doesn't want to sleep. I think that's it. She's like the middle of the night, wakes up kind of blearily. She's been drinking. It's dark. And she just starts pawing around at her nightstand, like looking for the lamp. Did Sober Boss leave Drunk Boss a gift of, like, a water bottle next to the bed? 
I think she just like keeps like a two liter plastic bottle, like half full, just like sitting by the bed. It's been one of those weeks, you know what I mean? Right, right. Paws around trying to find the lamp and starts to pour herself a cup of something with water. When you get finished with the water, you're going to hear that same sounds of the animals fighting. It sounds closer than it has been the previous nights. She sits up in her bed and kind of like rolls her shoulders, like trying to like shake this kind of vaguely ugly, still kind of drunk, still like starting to get hung over kind of feeling. And she, she sort of sits, I think for like a good five, 10 minutes, just to see if it, these fighting animals go away and just like sips water. And when they don't, she sighs and she says, uh, well, I guess this is it. She gets up, starts milling around, trying to like figure out which pair of pants she left that bag of drugs in. She uh, sets out onto the back porch of this little shack and sits in the dark, and there's a little flicker of orange light as she lights her joint, starts to smoke. One of the first things you're going to notice is that it's going to kind of like creep into your vision as you're hitting on this joint. The trees and stuff are going to start to glow, and as you look around the dead wood things, like the bench, your little shooting targets, that kind of thing, they're going to start to gray out a little bit more than how they looked previously. It's probably a little distracting as things start becoming more intense and more glowy as you begin to astrally perceive. Does Boz know she's astrally perceiving? Could this conceivably just be like being high? She's never been high before, so... Well, you just smoked a bunch of deep weed. <laughs> Let me ask this. You've had conversations with Valerie and how she's talked about seeing glowy stuff, right? Ah, that's right. That's a good point. Do you think Boz would put together that that's what's going on? I mean, this was sort of implied like this was why Boz was supposed to smoke this stuff was to, to see this, to see. I think there's still a little bit of skepticism in, in her, but she's sort of sitting in her crappy lawn chair and she's starting to like see things change around her. And I think her first inclination is she just sort of mumbles to herself like, well, I guess this isn't too bad. And she's just sort of letting herself get kind of high. I think she gets up and she's still got like half a joint. She starts to wander through her yard to sort of like get a closer look at things. Just smoking in the middle of the night, looking at glowy trees. As you start to get up and want to go check out your little area that you live in, you're going to notice a couple of strange things happen. So in the distance, you hear a deep but somehow also high-pitched howl just reverberate through the night, echoing seamlessly without end from all directions. The air around you starts to get cooler. Everything gets more blue-toned. It almost looks like snow, the way that the light is reflecting and refracting. As a wolf, a big, like, spiritual, dire wolf starts stalking through the trees, looking in your direction. Darting out from a copse of trees or a fallen log comes a large dog, too. Probably not as big as the wolf, but a respectable size. Looks like a mangy hound dog type, teeth bared, snarling, and tries to tackle the wolf. What were animal noises before... Uh, actually sound like speech to you, Boz. They say things like, Wow, beast! There's, There's no, no place, place for, for you here. here. She's mine. We've been over this. Ghost alive. She's clearly in my camp. More gnashing of teeth and paws raised as, you know, both dogs like kind of get up on two feet, scratch at each other, bite at each other, try to grab at each other's necks. A lot of nipping and a little circular dance as they play around each other, vying for position and dominance over the other one. Dog, like, spins around and hits the other one, like, with their back hip. I try that. 
this black-gray, long-eared, indeterminate mix, but definitely an old, determined hound dog. And the mottled wolf sidesteps as he's pushed away a little bit, tries to turn it into an advantage as he circles closer to Boz. The dog circles back. It notices Boz, too. Its posture drops a little bit. It takes out of the battle stance and lowers its head, almost as in a bit of shame. And it says, Oh, jeez, man, man, she's, I think she, she sees, sees us. us. She starts to see this, and I don't think she has a sense that she's under any threat. She just was sort of like watching almost passively as these animals emerge, and she just stumbles to one side and puts her hand against a post and just squints and watches as, and, and listens as these vision kind of plays out in front of her. When they finally recognize that she's watching them, she starts to pat her pants, pulls out a flask of whiskey, and just takes a drink. I can't believe this is happening. Neither of these animals appear fully material. They both have fantastic or exaggerated features, more than anything you would see even like as someone who works with weird animals. A caricature of your typical wolf or dog. Are they glowing? Oh, absolutely. And as we dance around this little clearing, the trees surrounding the wolf will get a little bit more stark and a little bit more cold and jarring. Cycling around as dogs gets a little bit more warm and inviting, almost like the dualities of the two are in battle at the same time. I want to push back against this dark nature that the wolf is pulling towards us, this cold, bitter forest. It's getting warmer, but the trees are also getting a little bit thinner. The dog turns back and hisses back at the wolf that your way is the old way. The metahumans, they're not going anywhere. Old way. You need strength to defend that, which is important. Back off, pup. Boss is mine. Wild one. If she follows your path, she'll only get herself killed. For nothing. For for what? The, the next fight? To protect the ones she loves, the important people to her. They'll be around. I protect the ones we love. And I don't do it by looking for the biggest scrap just so I can show who's got the biggest paws. Alpha keeps the pack safe. Alpha makes sure the pack survives. Alpha serves the Alpha. The pack is nothing but a crude tool for the Alpha. Short-sighted and innocent. What good are you when the going gets tough? When the going gets tough, I adapt. You cower. I want to show you a vision of the future of these beasts in their old ways as the trees get a little thinner. The sky grays out. It doesn't look like clouds. It looks like smoke, maybe. The trees gray out and shapes appear. Ghostly visions of humanoid figures on horses riding around the wolf. Those melt away and appear to be more great machines and cruel devices. They'll just hunt you down. There's no place in their world for you. But me? They love me. I'll find a place at their side. While you, you'll be... Driven, driven away to the corners, corners of the planet before you're finally snuffed out. And as this continues, and eventually comes to an end of that example, the woods morph yet again back to the stark, cold, very primal forest, and you get a vision of prey, of rabbits cowering as wolves prowl around, slowly closing in. And as the wolves close in, you see the giant alpha spirit wolf climb up to the top of a nearby hill and just release a... and backs all of the wolves off. 
and the woods slowly morph into something much more civilized, much more urban. And you see the trees shoot up into skyscrapers, and you see Mary Sue and R.C., and now they are in the role of those rabbits in a dark alley as Corpsec starts closing in, guns drawn. And again, it's the Alpha that runs out of the alley, howling, giving them pause, stopping them from closing in on the rest of the team. The old ways still hold true. Even more so. Predators are out there. And the best way to combat them is to be a predator yourself. What I would counter with that is a vision of a pack of dogs running across a wide open field. A bright, beautiful day turns to night. The night is filled with suddenly glowing neon lights. Headlights from different cars and airships above and below. But that pack still keeps running. Eventually, that pack fades away, and it's turned into a beautiful step van with gaudy decoration on it. And it's your team, boss. It's you and your team. You've become one with the environment. You sail right through danger. You are constantly on alert. You are always on watch for danger, but you don't need to attack it. You just need to stay aware. You need to be careful of trouble. Head it off before it starts. This violence, this, this aggression, it doesn't need to be you. There are many ways to survive in this world. Adapt. Don't just fight. As she's watching and she's seeing these, these visions kind of play out in front of her, it's clear that she's conflicted. She's drawn to both visions. Both seem to feel like a part of her in a lot of ways. I suppose that's, that's why these spirits are, are fighting over her. In a sense, it's her fighting with herself and the different parts of her that make her tick. She's long been drawn to the wild and away from society. And she spent a lot of her life on the fringes trying to live a lot like the wolf in a lot of ways. And there's something seductive about the vision that she's shown. But at the same time, her life right now isn't in the wilds, and it's not separate from from society. It's deeply enmeshed with the people around her that she's going to care about. And although she's tried to convince them to come with her and to leave the city behind and find an easier life, or at least what she thinks is an easier life, away from the skyscrapers and the lights, they haven't listened to her. And there's a compromise there, and she's going to protect them, and she's decided she must. She has to embrace the lights and the city and the throngs of people that she's going to be stuck with. So it's sort of a bit of a problem of, of her nature versus what she thinks she's meant to do, and these things conflict. This is all kind of playing out in her head. She's realizing this is what's happening. She falls to her knees. And the flask falls from her hand. It just lands on the ground and starts to slowly glug whiskey onto, into the grass. She takes one last pull off of the joint. She looks at it and realizes it's burned down to nothing at this point, and she stubs it into the ground. And She looks between the two creatures, and I don't know if they're paying attention to her at this point. She says, stop. Stop fighting. It's easy enough for me. Still posturing around the circle, a low growl at dog's direction, but is adhering to Boz's overall wish. I sit down like a good dog. She looks between the two. Her eyes linger on the wolf kind of longingly. She's looking at herself in a way, or at least a part of her that she identifies with really strongly, and she says, I have spent so long 
with you, but I can't. It's too dark there. I almost lost myself just the other day, and I can't. I don't think I'm going to survive your path. I really don't. I wish I could just throw it away and just live wild, (sighs) but I don't think it's going to work. And she looks at the dog and she says, I try so hard to be more like you, and it's hard. And it's not always the way I feel, but you make sense to me right now. And I need something that will keep me afloat and not pull me down river, if that makes any sense. My head is is swimming. She sort of blinks like she's still a little out of it from the deep weed that she's been smoking. And she says, if I'm going to survive, I need you with me. It's a hard road ahead, Boz. If you're going to make it. And I'm not saying you will, but for your people, for your pack, for your family, I promise to guide you, to help you any way I can. I think you've made the right choice. She doesn't look happy about it. She looks at the wolf and she says, I'm sorry. When the time comes, I hope you still have the strength to save those you love. Knowing and feeling your emotions change, your mind already made up, wolf is fading. He's slowly dispersing into almost like a mist as the forest starts getting warmer and less cold. The dog starts to disperse too, but not like it's going away. It's like you're beginning to see through its eyes. Your senses sharpen, your emotional energy broadens, and for a moment, you and dog, one and the same, and then it's gone, and you're left alone, stoned in the woods. Boz waits for the visions to dissipate. And she turns and slumps against the post she was leaning she was leaning against and she looks down and realizes her flask is empty and kinda like shakes the last few drops out disappointedly and sits there for hours until sunrise. So the first peaks of golden light cast a, a gloom over her backyard. And she finally kinda comes out of it and stands up and starts to wonder like, what exactly just happened. But Part of her nose. She can kind of sense even even after the deep weed is worn off that she's not as alone as she thought she was. It's got something like that, but I will put it to, to somebody else or to think on what could be like that name, the head letters fall away to become something that the locals call it. Like a broken sign kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I like that idea. I will uh I will put some thought into it, but it's not gonna happen right now for sure. That's all right. We've got like a month and a half before we need to worry about it because that's about how far we are behind uh recording to live stuff ish. Because the stuff that I was just recording was literally uh, March 28th is when we recorded it. So, tons of time. Mm-hmm. I'm reminded of a, a story I once heard about a like one-armed martial artist guy whose teacher 
drilled him nonstop on one specific move, and he didn't get it until later on in like martial arts tournaments and stuff. The only way to counter that move effectively is to grab that the to grab the person's left arm, and in this case, the guy doing it didn't have a left arm, so it's like uh... it's like that's using your disability to your advantage. I don't know if it's a real story or not, but it's a an interesting idea. Yeah, it's an yeah, it's an interesting story. Um, like any drug she might have seen on a tr- like a Trudio show. It's one of two things, right? It's a white powdery substance or some kind of green junk. Uh-huh, yeah. Is it green junk? Is that what? It, it is more of the green junk. I have no idea. Like, <laughs> I don't want to say it looks like oregano, but <laughs> if this is what I think it is, it is a very personal and very important. Uh, hold on. How much do you think Boz knows about like Native American lore and that kind of stuff? I mean, she doesn't have any knowledge in that area, but she does. Like, she spent some time with like the Inuit people in the north, and she speaks Inuit. I think. I think she. That's where she got a lot of her understanding of what being adept means. Right. So her. I think. I think her ideas are. I mean, someone told her that she was an adept um, when she was still living in Detroit. But I think, like, like spiritually, I think she got a lot of her understanding that way from from the Inuit people. Do you think they have vision quests? Ooh, I don't want to make an assumption. Um, I think in, for the purposes of Shadowrun, probably all Native American people have vision quests, especially after the Awakening. Um, so may, maybe we could probably run with that. Like, we can. I mean, if <laughs> I hate to make assumptions about stuff like this, um, but I think a little googling. Yeah, I think like. I think it would be fair to say that after the awakening, probably like a lot of spiritual cultures, even if they didn't have vision quests and that sort of thing, probably like I think it's fair to say. Uh, went there. Hold on, I found some something on Inuit spiritualism. Uh, put it in here, I guess. Where he says uh, the soul, as anyone can see, it has two basic components. The first, the breath soul is responsible for life. It is lost if the individual dies. The breath soul is responsible for developing experience, wisdom, and strength can also be thought of as the mind that distinguishes the living from the dead. The free soul accounts for the capability of people to experience visions and out-of-body experience. Perfect. The free soul is the basis of the unconscious life. The free soul is also that which part of the soul experiences the afterlife and may be reincarnated. I'd say that works. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a couple of other things that mentions in this thing, where it mentions the, the primary methods of their vision quests are sensory deprivation, often involving a solitary retreat in which the prospective shaman fasts while being exposed to the weather. Neat. So we'll read through that a little bit later. It'd be fun to intertwine some of it. The more you know. Yeah, I mean, it just makes it more interesting. And hopefully, yeah. <laughs> I doubt we're going <laughs> to run into any problems. I always like... I always worry about like trying to like trying to like integrate stuff like that into a like a public podcast kind of thing. Yeah, I don't want to just be like, oh yeah, no, every culture I don't understand American, <laughs> exactly Native American, you know, exactly. Um, but we can like grab some bits and pieces, and you know, we can be respectful. Yeah, according to the the episode of The Simpsons, when Homer went on a vision quest, he was out in the middle of like nowhere and heat stroke and that kind of thing, and it was hallucinations that way. Um, sure. Yeah. So there's some some terrible sources for authenticity, we'll call it. <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> who, 
referencing the chili episode of the Simpsons is great for, uh, for <laughs> culture. Sure. Yeah. Half in the bag. Probably. I don't know what that means. She's been, she probably, once she gets back from, from her responsibilities, she probably starts drinking again. Oh, so like half in the bag as in she's buzzed pretty buzzed, like a, a bottle of stuff. And then it, the, the brown paper bag that people go around it when they're drunk in hobos. <laughs> I guess I've never thought about the 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 uh, origin of the phrase. One of my favorite dog fight techniques is where one dog like spins around and hits the other one like with their back hip, it's sort of like a butt attack. It's very effective. <laughs> I try that. This black, gray, long-eared, you know, indeterminate mix, but definitely an old, determined hound dog. Adapt. Don't just fight. How you doing, boss? You guys are great. I really like it. Right, we've got a couple of weeks to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some that's yeah, some some powerful stuff. Um, you are free to to do what you will. As I go back to muting myself and let you guys, I just wanted to to interrupt the moment for just a second. Go ahead, feel free at any point in time. <laughs> Yeah, this is this is your vision as much as it is ours. We're just you know metaphysical entities in it. Is Boz getting the sense that she needs to pick sides? Is that like is that sort of obviously they're trying to convince her of of you know the the right path? Um, Called a friendly rivalry for your soul, <laughs> your, your metaphysical being. Um, as always, thank you guys for listening. You are the reason that we continue to to do this. Come by, check us out on Patreon. We have a couple of different goals on there, all of which is oriented towards growing the show and doing more things in that vein. You know, we want to get bigger and better and all of that happy stuff. I want to give back to the cast for helping out and sitting down to play this game. The Patreon link is going to be in the description. And uh, tell your friends. You know, that's the easiest way to to help us out without really doing anything super in-depth. You know, spread the word. And, you know, as much as I hate to drone on about it, there's those things about five-star iTunes reviews. So, but it is now time for the legal stuff. The music you heard was composed by and copyrighted by Michael Vadamikis and for use with the Without a Net podcast. Tops Company Inc. has sole ownership of the names, logos, artwork, marks, photograph, sounds, audio, video, and or any other proprietary material used in connection with the game Shadowrun. The Tops Company Inc. has granted permission to the Without a Net podcast to use such names, logos, artwork, marks, and or other proprietary materials for promotional and informational purposes on its website, but does not endorse and is not affiliated with the Without a Net podcast in any official capacity whatsoever.